Praise the Lord for that good song service this morning. It's good to come to the Lord's house and praise Him. I said it's good to come to the Lord's house and praise Him. You know, we go through this life and life is hard, isn't it? Life can be very hard. Some of us have had a hard week. Some of you have had a hard week. We heard some things going on today where people have gone through great tragedy. Come into church with a heavy heart. But the Lord provides an outlet for us, for our souls, to worship Him when we come to the Lord's house to worship. Brother Drew, as he was singing, uh, before he was giving his testimony, he was saying that he likes to sing to the Lord. You know, that's really the secret of worship. You're not singing for the people around you, but you're singing to your God. And if there was ever a, a, someone who was worthy of your worship, of your praise, you know, the Bible says to make a joyful noise unto the Lord, to lift up your voice and sing to the Lord. And I'm thankful today that we're able to come to the Lord's house and praise Him. I, I took part in the praise this morning. I pray that you did as well. If you have your Bibles this morning, if you'll be turning to Acts chapter number 8, Acts chapter number 8. You'll find this in the New Testament. We find a beautiful historical record this morning that is worthy of our consideration. When you find your place in Acts chapter number 8, if you're able, we'll ask that you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter number 8, and we'll begin our reading in verse number 26. Acts 8 and 26 says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Esaias, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. This morning we're going to be considering this topic, the conversion of the Ethiopian man. Let us go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Father, we ask for your blessing on the preaching of your word. Help me, Lord, to communicate with clarity. And Lord, if there's anyone here today who, like the Ethiopian, was searching, was seeking. I pray that today would be that day when they receive you as Savior. 
I pray, Lord, for those of us who are here who are already saved, that you would edify us and build us up and cause us to consider this passage of Scripture and help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This is a beautiful story that we find in the Bible. Even, say, a modest Bible student or someone who has an elementary level of reading could understand a lot of the things that was taking place in this story. First of all, we see that there was a preacher who was involved. In verse number 26, the Bible speaks of the angel of the Lord coming to this preacher named Philip. Philip was in Samaria. He was preaching the gospel. We read about this Philip in verse number 12 of Acts chapter number 8. It says, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So Philip was a powerful preacher. He was preaching to a great many people there in Samaria. And God tells him to leave this place where there's a whole lot of people. And he tells him in verse number 26 to arise and go south. Now he didn't know why he was going south. He was just knowing that God told him to go south. Sometimes God tells his people to move. And I'm thankful today that Philip was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. That he was sensitive to the voice of the Lord. And when God told him to go south, he just went and did what God told him to do. And so the Bible says in verse 27, And he arose and went. You know, parents know what this is like. Arise and go clean your room. It is a blessing when the children say, or they do, they went and did what they were commanded. Uh, God help us today. I guess you guys all have clean rooms in your houses. Verse number 27. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. Several things that the scripture says here. Number one. He was a man. This is a very simple idea. This idea is being attacked today by the devil. You young people are seeing a day in which man and woman and the idea of what is a man and what is a woman is being attacked. But the Bible is very simple. All I can explain to you is that God made two genders. They are male and female. This individual was a man. Not only was he a man, but the Bible tells you where he was from. We've met people from all over today. We have a visitor visiting with us from the land of Baltimore. I am from the land of East Detroit. Some of you are from the land of Texas and Fort Worth, and others have been born in other areas of the country. No matter where you're from, you come from somewhere. This man was from Ethiopia. The Bible says what he was, who he was. It says that he was a man of great authority, that he had the charge of all the treasure in Ethiopia. This would be like the Secretary of Commerce. This would be somebody who had advanced to the ranks and who'd been promoted to a place where he was overseeing a whole lot of money, and you don't get that from being lazy. This guy knew how to work. This guy knew how to earn people's trust. This man had ascended to the very lead in that country and was so trusted that the scripture says that he had charge of all the treasure of this woman who was in charge in Ethiopia. So he was a man of means and authority. He was a successful man. This means, and I just want to say this and I'll throw this in for free, if you're going to be a successful man, if you're going to be a man of means, 
you're going to have to be a man of responsibility. You're going to have to take care of the things that are under your control. I mentioned things this morning just like cleaning your room. It does start there, you know. I mean, when I went into the military, you know what they taught me to do? They taught me how to make a bed. And if you didn't know how to make your bed, you didn't get to go on a weekend pass. So I wanted to know how to make my bed. They even taught me how to iron the clothes. They taught me how to make creases in my clothes. I even did that. I'm without my wife this weekend, and I'm thankful that I can iron, okay? One time we had an Ironman championship at church, and they brought a bunch of irons and had a bunch of men see if they can iron church. I won the contest. I got the trophy to prove it. Uh, Ironman contest. I'm going to throw down. It's like a throw down. But it starts with the simple things. Starting with the small things, you do your daily tasks. The things that have been under your authority, do it and do it well. The Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. I had a preacher named Paul McWhorter. I thought about him this morning. I prayed about him in our men's prayer meeting. I, I told the Lord, thank you for giving me such a preacher to challenge me. I was saved under his preaching. I remember him preaching a message once about why it's a sin to be lazy. It is a sin to be lazy, you know. And I'm thankful that I had a pastor who put these truths in my heart. And so one of the things we know about this man is that he was, not, he was not lazy. Now the other things the scripture says here is that he was coming to worship in Jerusalem. It said that he was basically that he was a religious man. He was interested in religion. I hope that you're interested in God. I hope that you're religious. I believe that, that, you know, there's a group of people out there today and they claim to be atheists. They claim that there is no God. The Bible says in the book of Psalms in the 14th chapter that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I read a book one time and it said that God doesn't believe in atheists. It's true. As a matter of fact, the book of Romans said that there's certain intuitive knowledge that just comes with the birth. If you're of cognitive ability today, if you're thinking, and if you are able to process information, as the preacher is preaching, there's something that's going on in your heart when we talk about this God, this God in heaven, that says, what this guy's telling you is the truth. Because God places inside of all of men, according to the book of Romans... An intuitive knowledge that he exists of his power and his Godhead. People run from the Lord because many times they don't want to be governed. They don't want to be told what to do. But I'm here to tell you that God is our judge. The Bible says so that every one of us will give an account of himself to God. So everyone from front to back, side to side in this room, and anybody who didn't come to church today, all of us will give an account of ourselves to the Lord. This man, this religious man was certainly interested in this. He was interested in what God had to say to him. He was religious. He traveled a long way to get to Jerusalem. He was from Ethiopia. You can listen to whatever Bible scholar that you'd like to listen to. Some people believe that there was two different Ethiopias and that there were different places that this man may have come from. All we know is that he came from a great distance and most scholars agree that he came from a distance of about 1,500 miles to get to Jerusalem in a chariot. To put that in perspective, if we left Fort Worth today and traveled 1,500 miles, we would arrive sometime out in the future in Los Angeles, California, if we went to the west and a little bit to the north. 
If you went straight north, don't over towards my area and where my kin folks were, you'd only be going 1,200 miles to get to Detroit. In order to travel 1,500 miles, you could be all the way up in Toronto, Canada. That's a long way. I know some people who wouldn't be willing to go five miles to get to church. This guy was willing to ride 1,500 miles to get over to Jerusalem because something was going on in Jerusalem that made a difference in him. I believe this man was a, he was a converted person. I believe that when I say converted, that means that he tried to become a Jew, even though nationality wise, he was not a Jew. He found something truthful about the Old Testament and he was investigating this God. You find this happening several times in the book of Acts. Perhaps in the week to come, we'll cover a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter number 10. He was religious, but he was not saved. The Ethiopian man was religious, but he was not saved. He came to the right place. He had the scripture. He knew where to study, but he he needed somebody to explain some things to him. And that is where we pick up the story. The purpose of him coming to Jerusalem was found. At the end of verse number 27, it said he came to Jerusalem for to worship. He had already been there. We don't know at what point he picked up a copy of the scriptures, but we know that according to this passage of scripture, he had a copy of at least Isaiah chapter 53, a book that had been written 700 years prior. So he had a scroll of some sort that he was reading. You know, if you want to investigate God, you want to get to know God, you want to get to know who God is, you're going to have to get to know this book. You're not going to learn about God in the cartoons. You're not going to learn about God from many schools today, especially secular education. In fact, they're going to try to tear down the knowledge of God. You're not going to find out about God in most music. And some of the music that's out there that calls itself Christian really doesn't tell you about the real God, the God of heaven, the God of the Bible. If you want to get to know God, you're going to have to get to know him through his Bible, through the word. This man had something in his heart that was saying, I need to investigate from God's word. What does God's word have to say? And he was reading this passage of scripture in the book of Isaiah. The Bible says in verse number 28, something else. It says the first two words of verse 28 says that he was returning. That means he'd already been to Jerusalem and now he's on his way back. So he is about to make a long journey home. So whatever he saw in Jerusalem, my thinking was that if he went to Jerusalem, he probably saw some animal sacrifices at that time. He saw that the way that the Jews practiced religion, he he, he probably went to the temple if he went to worship. He probably heard some of the songs that were sung by those who were gathered around. And perhaps the, where he was, nobody fully instructed him because no doubt he did not understand what Isaiah was talking about when he was reading the book of Isaiah. And so considering this interaction, we read this in Acts chapter number 8 that the Bible says in verse number 30, And Philip ran thither to him. So Philip sees the chariot, he runs toward the chariot, and heard him read the prophet Esaias. He heard him read. Reading is important. Parents, you need to do your best to get your children educated. It is the devil who wants your children to remain in an elementary form of reading. You know why you need to teach your children and make sure your children know how to read? Because through reading you get the knowledge of God. The devil wants to keep people in the dark about the Lord. He doesn't want people to get the word of God. He doesn't want people to be able to read. 
Years ago, there was a National Football League player who had gone all the way through high school. And he'd gone all the way through college. And he came out as a Hall of Fame football player. He played for, at that time, the Washington Redskins. And I'm not going to get into all of that, but that's who he played for. And he had to admit that he was illiterate. You know how he got through school? Because this country worships football. And people helped him cheat his way through. But as a college graduate, he couldn't read or write. Now, folks, it was very humbling for him to come out and say what he did. I'm thankful that he was honest. But you know who wants your children not to be able to read or write? It's the devil. The devil wants to hold up your education. Listen, you'll, you'll rise to the level of where your education is. Much of coming to church is being educated. Today I'm trying to educate people about this story of the Ethiopian eunuch. I want you to know all about it. That's the importance of being in church and Sunday school and making sure that you get an appropriate education. But in ancient times, men were taught to read aloud. They were taught to read the Bible out loud, not just to themselves. Occasionally when I'm in my office, I'll read to myself. I don't read out loud, but there are other times where I read out loud. Reading out loud helps you. It helps you with memorization. It helps you with remembering. In fact, scholars have said that it was the habit of the Jews and other Eastern people to not only read, but to read out loud. Comprehension and memorization are helped by this. And so he got done reading this passage where he was reading in the Bible, and he had one particular question on his mind. If you go with me to Acts chapter number 8 and verse number 30, Philip hears him reading and he says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand that book you're reading? And he said, the eunuch answered, he said, How can I understand this? How can I, except some man should guide me? He basically said, I need someone to teach me what this is saying. And he had one particular question on his mind in verse 34. After they read this passage, which was from Isaiah, he said, this is all I want to know. He said, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or another man? He said, who is this prophet talking about? This passage of scripture, who is it referring to? Is, is, he writing, is Isaiah writing about himself or is he writing about somebody else? And the truth of the matter was, Isaiah wasn't writing about himself. He was writing about someone else. And perhaps Isaiah didn't even know the name of the person he was writing about. Maybe the Lord gave him some kind of vision in his mind as he was penning the scripture. But we know that in Matthew chapter number 1 and verse 21, when the angel Gabriel came down to a virgin whose name was Mary, he said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for, thou, for he shall save his people from their sins. Thank the Lord for the high, the holy, and the lifted up name of Jesus. Jesus is a holy name. You be, be careful about how you use that name. Today we use, people in this country use that name as a curse word. They call out that name when they get upset. They call out that name when they get scared. You be careful how you deal with the name of Jesus. The Bible says that there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a high name. That is a holy name. That is a lifted up name and you need to be careful with that name. That's a wonderful name. That's my Savior. The offertory played this morning, it was a song called, His Name is Wonderful. Is His name wonderful? You believe that? You believe that Jesus is precious? I thank the Lord for my Savior. I thank the Lord for a preacher in verse number 35 who was really happy to get this question. 
And Philip began at the same scripture, the Bible says in verse 35, and preached unto him Jesus. And for just a few moments this morning, we're going to turn our Bibles back to Isaiah in chapter number 53, just for a few moments. Turn your Bible back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, a historical book written by a prophet, written by a man who foretold the future. In the Bible, in Isaiah chapter number 7, he foretells that a virgin would be with child and that his name would be called Emmanuel. The Bible says that Jesus is some of the names of Christ, that his name should be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace that comes from Isaiah chapter number 9. Isaiah was sometimes known as the Evangelical Prophet by Bible scholars because there are so many Messianic utterances That means he uttered so many things about the coming Messiah that people called him the evangelical prophet. In Isaiah chapter number 53, I have no doubt that Philip was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, this man who was a foreigner, this man who no doubt did not look like Philip. And he opened his mouth and he preached unto him Jesus from this scripture. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 3 describes Christ. He is despised. And rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. And here's where it comes down, right on home, if you're listening. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised. For our iniquities. That word iniquities means your shortcomings, your failures, your sins. Jesus was crucified for that. He was bruised. You know what a bruise is, don't you? It hurts. Somebody hurt him. It wasn't for what he did wrong. It was for what we did wrong. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That means if we have peace today through Christ, it was because of him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It goes on to say that he was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He could have defended himself, but he didn't. When Jesus was talking to Pilate, Pilate said, Don't you know who you're talking to? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? And Jesus looked back at him, probably right in his God-given eyeballs, and said, You didn't get any power unless it came to you from above. He said, my kingdom's not from this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Trust me, one angel of the Lord took out many, many thousands of people in the Old Testament when David made a bad mistake. One angel. There's a whole legions of angels that are up there. I want to tell you something. It's only by the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed for all the sinful behavior people have been involved in. But we we talk about this here, and this is where he was preaching about Christ. Some of the reasons that I got saved was because a preacher faithfully preached about the woundings of Christ and who it was for. The Bible says here in verse number 5 that Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was suffering on behalf of somebody else. Have you ever done something that caused somebody else great grief or sorrow? You ever let somebody down? I mean, there's not a child in this room today or even a grown person who can't remember a time when they themselves probably didn't let their mom or dad down because they fell into sin or did something wrong. 
Sometimes the sins of other people affect other people. Many times a father doesn't take into account before he goes out and spends all of his family's money at the end of the week on gambling and drugs and other things that their little children at home that are now suffering because they determined that they were going to be selfish and do their own thing instead of taking care of their own responsibilities. I used to go to the Franklin County Jail in, in, in Missouri and we would get a group of ladies that came in there almost every week. Most every one of them, over 90% of the ladies that I dealt with in that jail had a problem with drugs. And almost every one of the ladies that got brought to us on Sunday afternoon had children under the age of 10. You know who's suffering when mom's in jail? Children. The family. Many times it's grandma and grandpa. Your sin affects other people. But more than mom and dad, more than brother or sister, more than your wife, more than your fellow man, your sins affected the Lord Jesus Christ. An innocent man came to this earth 2,000 years ago and on his back all of our sins were laid. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. There was a time in our lives we did our own thing. We didn't care what the scripture said. We didn't care what God said. We did what we wanted. And the Bible says that the Lord, speaking of God, hath laid on him speaking of Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. That means an innocent man died for you and died for me. It's not just that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. See, that doesn't bring much conviction to people. Yeah, we're all sinners. No, I am a sinner. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for me disobeying my mother and my father. Jesus died for the sins of adultery. Jesus died for the sins of fornication. Jesus died for all the dirty thoughts you've ever had. And you say, well, I've never committed that. I've never committed that. I can tell you what you have committed. And you can come in here and act like you've not sinned and that no dirty thoughts ever passed through your mind. But what I'm telling you, there's coming a day when the secrets of your heart is going to be judged before the Lord. And if you go ahead and hold that till the judgment, the Lord's going to expose that lie. That includes all of us religious people. We are faulted people. We are failures. We are sinful men. We have fallen short. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not me. I've been a good little girl. Not me. I've been a good boy. No. You haven't been good. You've been bad. And I want to tell you, the Lord died for bad people. He died for sinful people. He even died if you might call them good. He was wounded for our transgressions as a young boy. I would think about this as the pastor preached. And I, in my mind's eye, could see the Lord being bruised and buffeted. And I could see the crown of thorns going on his head. And I, I could see the, the picture of a battered man who'd been beaten and bloodied from the preaching of the Word of God. It was building a picture in my mind of who Christ was. And I thought, only someone who loved someone else would go through all that for me. He did that for me. You know, the bad news that deals with the gospel is that, yes, we're all sinners. The bad news that deals with the gospel is, yes, we're all condemned. But the good news is, is that Jesus didn't come here to condemn us. He came here to save us. And save He did. He provided Himself as a sacrifice. The reason Jesus was dying, He was dying in our place as a substitute. I want to tell you here today, if you don't know Christ as your Savior... If you don't know where you're going to go when you die, 
If you were to go into eternity later on today in a car accident or something like that, if you don't know that you'd go to heaven, I'm here to tell you, you could be in great danger of going to a place where the Bible says that the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a place called hell. Now listen, I'm not a modern day preacher. I'm a Bible preacher. That means if the Bible says it, it settles it with me. You won't find me wrestling with the Bible and trying to change it to say something else because I'm having a problem with the words. I don't have a problem with the words. I've got to believe those words. In order to be saved, you've got to receive those things. And there could be somebody here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. If you don't and you know you don't, well then I'm here to tell you that Jesus doesn't want you to stay lost. He wants you to be saved. You say, well, how could I be saved? You could be saved by acknowledging a couple of things. First of all, acknowledge the fact that you, in fact, are a sinner. The Bible says, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible even says that our righteousnesses are like filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. I've been to church. I've put an offering in the plate. I've walked old ladies across the street. I've visited the nursing homes. I've done this. I've done that. I'm a good person. Your righteousness is, if you think you're going to do right to atone for your sin, it's impossible. You can't do right. If you could have been saved without the blood of Jesus, you would have been able to, but you can't. You can't be saved without the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Salvation requires the acknowledgement of sin. Salvation also requires that you can't save yourself. You can't atone for your own sins. You can't make up for all the things you've done wrong. But Jesus could pay for him, and he'd already paid for it. He already paid for all your sins. If you're saved, the payment's been made, but it only gets allocated to your account when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you recognize that you are a sinner, and that when you acknowledge that you can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. Salvation also requires faith. Belief in the soul that Jesus Christ and in him alone paid for our sins on Calvary. Some people look at salvation as if Jesus is a coat to the closet. They got this God here and this God here and this God here and then they're going to add Jesus to the closet just as kind of like a safeguard. No, Jesus is the onlyest coat in the closet. He's the only one who goes in there. You can't get saved any other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He said, you have to come through me in order to be saved. Jesus is the only way. You can't be saved any other way. You can't be saved by good works. You have to have faith in that. You must be willing to acknowledge that this innocent man, guilty of no wrongdoing, went to Calvary bearing your sins and paid the cross on Calvary. Salvation requires the sinner to receive Christ. The book of John, the first chapter says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Receiving Christ requires faith. You have to believe the truth. You know, I prayed the sinner's prayer several times and did not get saved. You know why? Because I didn't understand what faith is. Salvation is not praying magic words of a prayer. Salvation is believing on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to do exactly what he said he would do. I believe you died for me. I believe all my sins were paid for by you, Lord Jesus. And I want to receive you as my Lord and as my Savior. That's how we receive Christ. Salvation requires the sinner to believe Christ and to take him at his word. You know, when I came and got saved those many years ago back in Warren, Michigan, I was, at, I was on 10 Mile Road at a, a little church called the Warren Baptist Church, and I knelt down at the old-fashioned altar, 
And I confessed everything that I could remember to confess. I've forgotten plenty of my sins by that point in time. You know, salvation isn't determinative on whether or not you confess every sin you can remember. (laughs) Just, I mean, praise the Lord, I'm a sinner and, you know, I'm down here, this is who I am. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. But I did that, I confessed, and then I told the Lord, I I know that I can't go to heaven without you. I know that I'm lost without you. And and I was wondering, what's holding me up from not getting saved? And it was the issue of faith. I had not taken the Lord at His word. I had not believed. You realize that nowhere in the Bible does it tell you to ask Jesus to save you? There's not one verse in the Bible that tells you ever to ask Jesus to save you. But you've got hundreds of verses in the Bible that says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What can I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Salvation is not asking. Salvation is believing. It's trusting. It's, it's, it's reaching out, touching the hem of his garment like that woman. Reaching out by faith. Have you ever been saved? Have you ever been born again? You ever came to the Lord for the forgiveness of sins? If you haven't, I'm here to tell you, as a minister of the gospel, the Lord wants to save you. He wants to save you before it's eternally too late. You say, brother, I've never had an experience like that. I've never come to the Lord. If I were to die right now, I have no peace with God that I would, that I would go to heaven when I die. I'm here to tell you that the Bible says you can know. You can know for sure. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You don't, have to, you don't have to go out of this room without knowing. You can know. You ever met somebody and you say, do you know if you'd go to heaven when you die? And they say, well, I hope so. It's almost like they have this idea in their head that if they've done enough on the good side that outweighs the bad side, that maybe they'll get in. That's not salvation. You don't go to heaven when you do more good than bad. The fact is we're all guilty. And the only way we get saved is through the blood of Jesus Christ, through receiving Him as our Lord and Savior. Now, if there's somebody in the the church house today, I want you to know, if you're lost, there are people in this room who are saved who are praying for you and who have prayed for you even before this service started. Some of our men, we meet on 9 o'clock on Sunday mornings and we, we call out to God for these services. There's people right now in a room somewhere else in this building who are praying for this very service and praying for you if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You could have even been a member of the church and you need to get saved. It could be a young person that's grown up around the things of God and you know in your heart you're not saved. I want to invite you to receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. Won't you get this settled? Won't you get this settled? There's some other things that I want to say just in closing. Let me ask you a question. What do you think this story says to us as Christians? When you have a lost man who's willing to ride 1,500 miles to get to Jerusalem and he can read his Bible, but we're not reading ours. He was carrying around a scroll, probably paid a good penny to get that. And here we have access to the Bible in many forms and many of us haven't read our scriptures the way we're supposed to this week. We need to avail ourselves to the scriptures. We need to think about this. Though this man was a great man, he chose to invest himself into the things of God. We ought to make ourselves available for every opportunity of instruction. And I do want to ask you this question one more time. What is the status of your soul? What about your soul? If you're not saved today, the good news is Jesus paid every sin for every sin you've ever committed. And he invites you to come. We can show you how from the scriptures and we'd sure love to. Let's stand together as we have our musicians come. We're going to prepare for a verse of invitation.
Maybe the Lord has spoken to your heart today. This Ethiopian eunuch, he took this long trip, but there came that day when the preacher came to his chariot, got up in that chariot. Boy, was there a conversation in that chariot. Something took place inside that chariot. We didn't even get to the second part of the story where he said, is there anything that hinders me to get baptized? He said, you've got to do one thing. You've got to, if, if you believe with all your heart, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You believe that this is the one who died for your sins. That's what Philip preached to him. As we play this number, if the Lord's spoken to your heart,